0: Hey, you're listening to Block Thinking with Werner Puchert. Happy 2019 and this first episode, I'm going to break a little bit away from our usual format where I interview someone in the design space within Central Europe and share a few books that I read in 2018 just to kick off the new year. You know, you're so tempted these days to do some online learning or watch some videos, read re blog posts, and I'm not running those down, they're great, but when you really want to deep dive a certain topic, um, reading a good book about it is really, for me, the, the way to go. But then also, I specifically put books on the list that I want to reread. Thus, uh, these are books that... You know, if my house had to catch fire heaven would be some of the books that I would grab and save and to the dismay of my wife who I think is starting to get annoyed with all the books that I'm collecting so hopefully she's not listening to this episode. Yes, okay, so I mentioned also that this is being recorded in San Diego, California. I'm here for a project. It's keeping me on the road keeping me busy. I'm doing work with some of the guys from the, the, the Event Design Collective. Some exciting stuff and then also I have to share this funny story. Gather around, kids, it's story time. I planned my whole trip and I actually misjudged the time zones. Had a hectic flight into Amsterdam, it was just crazy, weather was, I was gonna miss my connecting. Flight was really stressed out, ran through Schiphol, made it to the flight, got to LA, and then I checked my itinerary, and I realized that I arrived in the States a day early you know, the planet turns in a certain way. So I actually got here the same day and I had to go and actually find this little hotel where I'm sitting now, just outside San Diego, um, Old Town. And yeah, not not too bad. It reminds me a little bit of uh, one of these real movie kind of motel rooms. It's clean. The only issue is that I have this huge, big-ass ice machine right outside my door. And last night, it woke me up a few times. I mean, it goes through these cycles, it kicks in. It might even yeah, kick in during the course of this recording, but um, uh, quite a noise and a ruckus it makes. But, uh, hey, it's part of the story. Um, yeah, and then also explored San Diego a little bit today. Um, more, more or less, the old town went to look at some old Pueblo kind of stuff. Some rich history here, um, you know, uh, from the West, um, saw um, old town stuff. something light. Uh, something like the Pacifico or we have um, Dos Equis lager, Bud Light. Like a logger. The lagers really. Good. Okay, cool. i so have, I'll have that. that. Perfect. And I've got this thing. I don't know what yeah. this is. And that's right. good for a quesadilla. Yeah. yeah. And get, get that started. We give you a little bit of time. Cool, yeah. Sure. Okay. Oh, also went to the sheriff's department the museum. And I just wanted to walk around a little bit. And I actually, um, there's a guy there who has been working in the sheriff's department for a long time. He was not SWAT. Like walking around with his cowboy hat on he's like classic cowboy style boots telling stories it was really actually quite fun 20 years ago we had uh, 21 women and oh, 19 yeah. men all committed suicide at the same time called heaven's gate how they all thought when the comet hail came over that they were all going to get carried up to heaven or wherever it was they were going to go but it didn't work. I can't imagine we're getting that call. Yeah. They were Mm -hmm. all laid out just like this. They found them laying in this mansion up here like this. They found them all laying out just like this. Wow. I never realized it was in this area. Yeah. It was up in Rancho Santa Fe just north of San Diego. Really great experience. But anyway, uh, let me dive into my books that I wanted to share with you uh, in this episode, and uh, I hope this is useful. So book number one, uh, the title is Overcrowded, Designing Meaningful Products in a World Awash With Ideas. The author is Roberto Verganti, and he's also the author of Design-Driven Innovation. Now, I read Design-Driven Innovation, and I actually reluctantly started reading Roberto's work because it was his work was recommended to me um, by some executive people and I always like assume that they don't really value design And but I bit the bullet and really looked and started digging into some of Roberto Verganti's work and I, I I've become a real fan um, and when I first got stuck into design driven innovation it felt like I connected again with the old respected Italian culture of design and I think Roberto, through his work, really wants to rekindle that pride in design by designers and the work that designers do. Um, but then it also, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but some of the books that I've read up to this point um, before digging into Roberto Verganti's work and some of the design spirits I've personally had in big Corporations left me a little bit kind of cold. Um, I felt like there was this pressure to commoditize design. Um, And in a way i mean i can see i can empathize i can see the flip side and when i say commoditizing design is that i think executives and businesses want some like form of certainty out of the design process so when you follow design thinking or any process that you align yourself with or you know i think people feel uncomfortable that even when you go through a certain sprint or do agile work that you know at the end of each sprint you you might have to go back even in lean startup, you have, you might have to say, listen, this is not working. and You have to rethink that and start from scratch again. And people get nervous in big business when this happens. They want some kind of certainty, some assurances that stuff is going to work. You know, to commoditize design, just, you know, try and do that makes sense. We want control. You know, that uncertainty... It's not something that uh, people want. Now, in Overcrowded, the author further explores the topic of innovation in design. And there's a specific chapter called The Gift Maker," where he quotes Steve Wozniak. And I think it kind of sums up what I'm trying to say. People will never love a product that you do not love. If you don't love it yourself, they feel it, they smell it. It goes back to this idea that the designer should love the work they do. And there's a lot of debate around this. Um, Roberto Verganti also uh, introduces a framework. And the framework consists out of two elements. And it's hard for me to describe this without having a a picture, but I hope this makes sense. So the the two models he's talking about in the book is innovation of meaning and then creative problem solving. Now, I'll start with creative problem solving. And this is important to just focus on this because sometimes people think Roberto Verganti's anti-design thinking, which is not true. Creative problem solving is really about finding solutions. So it's the outside-in way of designing. So this, this movement over the last period of time where we really focus around user or customer needs and put that first before thinking about the organization. And of course, I mean, there is balance there. I mean, it's not that it's, excluding business objectives but it's outside in it's aligned with design thinking and it's really great for solving problems and then in this process there's a huge reliance on ideation the more ideas the better and that's what the process of design thinking then helps you to achieve but then Roberto Verganti introduces a level up and that is Uh, innovation of meaning and the key word here is meaning and it kind of reminds of Simon Sinek's work if you follow that it's a very famous video where Sinek explains the whole idea of your why finding a meaning for something and that's inside out this is the designer creating something for an audience taking the risk to design something that might be rejected by the audience so it's inside out what does it mean? it means that when we start from solution when we search for solution It is fine to go outside and search for input from outsiders. But when we search for new meaning, the new meaning should come from ourselves. Innovation should move the other way around, not from the outside-in, but from the inside-out. And this is quite reasonable because, I mean, the solution can come from others, but the meaning, the direction, I mean, we cannot ask the direction to someone else, the direction should come from us. Also because, I mean, at the first mistake, at the first problem, and when you do innovation, there are several problems. If you don't really believe in it, you stop. If you don't really believe in it, people will never love it. But the key thing here you have in innovation of meaning, you have critique. I fondly think back of my, my time in TBWA in South Africa, where we used to go through massive rounds of critique, so you do some ideation, you do some work, and then you bring the together a room full with experts on topics uh, and and then reviewing the work and then going through critique even when i was at art school and people look at your work it's horrible i mean you feel so exposed but you've created this piece of work and then someone critiques that of course when you respect the opinion of the person who, or in understanding the person who looks at your work that the growth that you go through as a designer or artist is super important and super valuable so critique coming into play in uh, I really, in, in, in Overcrowded and in Design Driven Innovation, this whole idea that uh, Roberto Verganti brings out around the importance of critique is, is really, really important. The book gets really practical at the end. It's not a how-to, but it unpacks a little bit about how you can use this whole idea of innovation, of meaning to drive innovation within in the in your business or in your practice the process is very high level but you can adapt that and i love this book because i felt that there's a tendency to make the responsibility for certain design to hand it over to to customers to say let's go do some research let's solve some problems and that's how we're going to innovate and i don't think it's true it's you need to love what you're creating you need to you need to present something to your audience and and you need to create a gift for the audience that, you, that you're that you building for, and yeah, um, and that is really tough to do. So uh, once again, my first book, Overcrowded, Designing Meaningful Products in a World Awash with Ideas by Roberto Verganti. Then the second book is a little bit more of a business book. Um, it's called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Eames. This is one of the last books I read in 2018 and actually came at the right time because uh, I was... Well, I'm still starting up my own little um, consultancy, my own business. And uh, if you, like me, are out trying to find people that you can generously serve with your services, I think this is really important book to read. And it's really shaped my thinking and thinking about all the pitch work i did at the ad agency i started realizing like hell those pitches were actually super super expensive to run i mean we had like 10 to 15 senior people working on these pitches doing actual work unpacking building fake campaigns piloting campaigns for to try and win business and uh, you know you might win one out of ten of these things and just the cost to do that was was insane i mean i don't know how we we to be pull that off and I I know a lot of agencies and a lot of my friends still go through that process of pitching and that's not especially effective the other thing is also is that when you're in this whole world of pitching for business inevitably and I saw this in big firms as well is that you're in a race built around costs and once you get into the space where you are competing against other suppliers, just based on your how much it costs, you know, you're know, you just racing to the bottom and, and it's not a space that I want to be in with my business. I want people to work with me and value the the business or, or the work that I do. The author also states this in, in the introduction of his book and I quote, it's to go f- from order taker supplier to trusted expert advisors. Oh, and be profitable. Now, in the book itself, he unpacks this, this practice in 12 proclamations. And I'm just going to read off the proclamations. And this will give you a kind of idea of what the book is about. I'm starting with the first one. And I'll go through the list. It's, we will specialize. We will replace presentations with conversations. I love that one. We will diagnose before we prescribe. Let's listen a little bit more to our customers, to our clients, and really figure out what their problems are. We will rethink what it means to sell. You're not selling your soul. You wanna solve problems in the long term. We will do with words what we used to do with paper. We will be selective. We will build expertise rapidly. We will not solve problems before we are paid. I like that. We will address issues and money early. Solve all the contractual things before you start working. We will charge more. We're not in a price race here. We will hold our heads high. I really recommend this book. Um, I'm referencing it all the time also an idea that the book unpacks is that if you're a supplier and you supply services be ready to have a supplier kind of relationship with your customers but once you go into the relationship and you set yourself up as a supplier or an order taker you cannot regain the relationship of being a trusted advisor once you've lost that there's of course also a gap for someone else to come in and play the role of that trusted advisor check this book out if you're in the space of sales or you're building a new business and i mean even for me when I was at the firm, um, I mean, I wish I, I, I read this book earlier. Great stuff. And that is, what uh, again, The Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Innes. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that I will post the links to all these books uh, and references in the show notes, which you will find on Apple, iTunes, or you can go to blockthinking.com, blockthinkingwithouttheK.com. So jumping straight into the third book, it's called The Coaching Habit, written by Michael Bungay Steiner. And it's about becoming a better coach. I grabbed this book, I then realized that I've been doing it wrong all the time. And I'm probably doing it wrong right now, once again, is that I've I've been talking way too much. Coaching someone is about asking the right questions. In fact, In this book, the author introduces a methodology that covers seven key questions and really helps you become a better coach. If you're a a manager or you're running a company or you, you need to handle performance of some of your team members or you want to help some of the people and really this book is a really easy read, super practical and gets you going quite fast. For example, I'll share with you one of, uh, one of the practices that they share in a book and um, maybe one or two tips is the first question you should always ask this person that you're trying to coach is, so, what's on your mind? And then you keep quiet. And you allow this person to share with you what it is that they are struggling with. Focus on three key areas. Is it project related? Is it around people? or is there certain patterns this person speaking up that is either stopping them from doing what they want to do or achieve or areas that they want to grow in. And then the second tip that really works, and this is one that I fail with all the time, and I, I'm trying to use it in my professional life, but I'm also trying to use it in the podcast when I speak to some people, is that as the role of silence. So when you speak to someone and you ask them the question, they answer that, keep quiet for a little bit, leave a little bit of space. In that silence that person will surrender their real feelings or a key insight and you need to fight that urgency to fill that silence with more of your own speaking and that actually works in your sales practice as well so use silence wisely and it feels awkward at first like give it a chance like ask someone a question when you have when you meet with a friend again ask them a question uh, let them share some knowledge with you and then keep quiet see what happens. It really works. Um, this book is an easy read. There's some great humor, some practical lessons that links to their website. And there's even a cocktail recipe that the author will send you. Uh, but you have to check out the book to, to get all those details and good stuff indeed. Once again, The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stainer. Number four. This book is called The Art of Possibility by Rosamund Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander. In fact, I mentioned Benjamin Zander in the interview with Marina too. And um, I urge you to check out his YouTube video, YouTube video, TED Talk video, where he talks about one buttock playing. And he actually talks about this practice in the book too. And the book is really about how you can transform your professional and or your personal life. The two authors introduced 12 practices and each practice is colorfully illustrated through stories that Benjamin Zander tells you know, related to some of his experiences as conductor uh, of the Boston Philharmonic and also his teaching experiences. So, for example, one of the practices that I love and I, I try and apply it in my own personal life is um, called giving yourself an A. He still starts off telling how he actually instructed his students and told them that they will all get an A for that specific se- semester. And... The only condition he had is that they would write him a letter as if the, it was written by their future self telling why they got an A. And this is quite interesting because, I mean, in education itself, you know, sometimes you get so, you know, am I going to make the grade? Am I going to pass the certification? Isn't it more important to actually know the work? You know, giving yourself that chance to really sit and focus and absorb and get drawn into the topic. Yeah, I mean, if you give yourself an A, you start acting like a student and that is a is a methodology that that uh, benjamin zander has proven works because sometimes i can be very critical critical about myself but if i treat myself and think as an age student start acting like that and i i really believe this works but even more importantly and this is something i try and with my pessimistic ass, trying to apply a little bit more is the idea of not only giving yourself an A but giving someone else an A. Now we always joke around about the designer ego and when we have new team members or we have colleagues or we have to collaborate with other people, um, giving them an A just really improves the relationships and gives you the opportunity to really get to know new people and build great friendships uh, with this approach because they people can feel that if you approach them by giving them that benefit of the doubt, giving them an A. So The Art of Possibility by Rosamund Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander, great book for transforming your professional and personal life. Great, so we're nearly halfway. This is book number five, Lynchpin. Are You Indispensable? This is a book by Seth Godin, and this book kicked my ass in 2018 and also opened the door to a Seth fold here. Why am I saying that? I jumped into the Alt-MBA. If you, um, and this is kind of a bit unrelated to the book, but if you're looking for something to help you realize your own leadership, just help yourself getting out of your own way, I really recommend the Alt-MBA. I also did the Bootstrappers Workshop uh, where Seth Godin helps people uh, focus on building their own bootstrapping business. And then I also did the podcast fellowship um, with Seth Godin and Alexander De Palma like highly recommend checking that out and the way that they approach learning and sharing of ideas is really, really interesting. But then the reason I brought Lynchpin into my, my list of books is that a lot of what Seth Godin does, he always stays on message. So he's got his blog and he's got books and marketing and everything, but the thread, the golden thread, the DNA always remains the same. And for me, the book Lynchpin represents a lot of that. Now, Lynchpin. Kicks off with the whole premise that we are still living in a world that has this remnants of the Industrial Revolution. And if you work in a big corporate, even the smaller businesses, it's kind of set up like that. It's like we can't help ourselves. We think of things in the way of a factory, right? So we all have our own little jobs that we do, and we have to do those jobs on point, and we get measured for what we do in those jobs. And also, there's there's an element of commoditization there because. You know, you don't want to have a business where you rely on a certain person to do certain work. So we are all parts of this big machine. And if a small little part breaks down, it needs to be replaced easily. People who have the hubris to dream of something bigger change the status quo. And the people who are in charge aren't in favor of that. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but I do know where, where public school came from. And public school was invented by factory owners who didn't have enough compliant factory workers. And it worked great. For 100 years, we had this wonderful system. Do what you're told. Go to the placement office. You'll get a job for 50 years. You won't really like the job, but you'll be able to go home and watch TV. Buy enough stuff, that you'll need a storage unit, and then you'll die. <laughs> and the deal was straightforward and kept on both sides. Mm. And during our lifetime, in the last 20 years, the deal's off. And the mistake, the problem is that people are still seduced into thinking that what they're supposed to do is fit in more. This is where Seth Godin introduces this whole idea of being a linchpin, a connector, a critical piece of the machine. The first part of last year, I spent a lot of time trying to find or blame other people for things that I couldn't realize in my professional and in my career life and then i started realizing that i had to take ownership of my own destiny i need to focus on improving myself and improving you know thinking about what it is that i can do to be better in the business or in the company that i work and then really focused around unpacking that in the industrial age we talk about two groups of people, two teams in the workplace. You have management and you have labor. Uh, and you either fit into one or two of these teams. But according to Seth, there's now three elements. So you have management, labor, and linchpin. And the linchpin is the, is the people in the business that are so indispensable that they connect all these things together. So what did I love about this book, and I did mention gifts before, is that the work you do should be a gift and that's interesting. If you think about giving gifts, and when you buy a gift for someone, lots of work actually has to go into it if you want to do this properly, right? You have to understand what their needs are, a little bit about personality. And of course, also you want that gift to be meaningful. Now think about it. The work that you do now, is that a gift for the people? Is that a gift to your boss? Do you make other people feel that it is a gift? And the thing is, what's so revolutionary for me about the idea of Talking about your work as a gift is a fact that is that it becomes your responsibility. This is something that you do. This not someone someone has to enable you to do things. And the fact is, if you ever had to make a decision about leaving a company, if you're unable in a company to maneuver and kind of live through fully becoming a linchpin, you are not being able to turn your work into a gift, then um, yeah, then then there's a problem. But it's your responsibility you you drive yourself towards becoming someone in a company or in your own business that your work can't be outsourced you can't be replaced and this is what lynchpin is all about and trust me seth godin does a much better job than me trying to explain it and this is really one of the books that i recommend lynchpin are you indispensable by seth godin book number six is the book is the war of art Break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. It's written by Stephen Pressfield, and it's really about fighting resistance. It's straight talk on how to identify and defeat inner barriers to your creativity, and it's referred to as, like I said, the resistance. I don't know if you ever had this this problem, where I mean, I I still battle with this, and but I do know what it's about now. I want to write more, and um, I've got this medium account, and I want to share meaningful stuff there. And I find, I can't help myself thinking that I have this writer's block. I don't know what to write. I just, I fear that little blinking cursor. And when you read and look at what Stephen Pressfield talks about in The War of Art, is that that's actually your own personal resistance. It's irrelevant if you're writing anything good or bad. It's just do the writing, do the work, get over yourself and get stuck in, just do the book covers a lot of things. First, The first part describes what the resistance is, you know, what feeds it. Are you paralyzed with fear? That's a good sign. Fear is good. Like self-doubt, fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. Remember our rule of thumb. The more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. Resistance is experienced as fear. The degree of fear equates to the strength of resistance. Therefore, the more fear we feel about a specific enterprise, the more certain we can be that that enterprise is important to us and to the growth of our soul. And then it goes into how you defeat or how do you live and work with this idea of the resistance. And for me, a lot of this was, I mean, I always wanted to start my own little business or run my own little consultancy. And I realized that my big block or resistance there was fear, Um, fear of failure, fear of letting my family down. That was keeping me back. And the thing is, you can never really defeat it, but you need or you teach yourself how to work with this. So I really recommend this book. You know, it's a tough read, not because of what it writes, but, uh, you know, Stephen kicks your ass. It's well worth it. The other thing I would say specifically about this is that I I have the, the actual hard copy, uh, but I did go to Stephen Pressfield's website, and I'll explain why, to buy the ebooks and also importantly, the audiobook. Now, you can get it on Audible, which is great, it's awesome, but the audiobook on his website is actually read by him personally. And I tend to pop headphones in and listen to Stephen Pressfield. Um, from time to time just for some regular ass kickings you know when the resistance starts whispering in my ear so The War of Art by Steven, Steven Pressfield he's got a whole bunch of other titles also around um, getting into writing um, and he's got his own line of, 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 of novels and stuff um, so check that out so let's jump into book number seven this is the book that actually brought me to sunny san diego california it's the event design handbook by rule Frissen, Ruud jansen and dennis Luyer. what's excellent about this book is that they look at events and their mantra is let's change the world one event at a time now that's very bold right but you know, I've been an event, involved in events in different organizations and, um, you know, events are super important. I think we underplay it sometimes because for a lot of us going to events to do networking, to learn more, to drive new business and then also hosting events. Right. I mean, I had a guy speak to me this week. So let's let's set up some design events. You know, and we sometimes really approach these things really like in the wild wild west where we just slap an event together and make sure there's biscuits and something to drink and some interesting people to talk but there's actually really a strategy behind this whole idea and so this book is really not about the logistics of event design if you want to have cocktail recipes this is not the book for you this book is rather an extension of design thinking combined with their uh, event canvas so they have this canvas that actually helps you design the context of an event And then help you define a strategy for your event or meeting. And that's the other thing I also wanted to note is that one of the reasons I picked up this book initially is that um, at my former corporate job, I had to host a lot of meetings. And um, once again, like I mentioned earlier in conversation, meetings are super expensive. Any meeting should drive some form of behavioral change. This means that the people who attend the meeting needs to add value, gain value from what's happening at this meeting or an event. And this doesn't just get slapped together. You you have the ability or opportunity to use design to do that. And this is what this book is about. So um, according to the authors, just to recap, the reason you are organizing an event is to create the opportunity for some kind of behavior change. You are designing this with intent. The event design canvas and the process described in this book helps you navigate through the strategy of designing events so the event design handbook nicely put together very visual easy read and I really recommend that. Book number eight this was really a fun book to read and it's called A Beautiful Constraint by Adam Morgan and Mark Braden and really is about how to transform your limitations into advantages and why it's everyone's business. But I mean, I don't know about you, but I recently started experimenting with the software package called Framer X. And I've been struggling a little bit. So I'm going through the lessons. But, you know, I actually have now in this stage the freedom to build whatever I want. And the fact that I don't have a design challenge or limitations that I can work into is actually really holding me back. And I started thinking about this book again because I really realized that once you have constraints, you have you have rules to the game if the game doesn't have any rules it's not fun to play and i use the word rules really in quotes here but the rules are the limitations you have and it actually makes it's something that you can latch on to it's very difficult to describe but trust me this book really gets into this and uh, it's a very difficult once again model to describe but they kind of talk about there's this as a business or as a solution you want to create you have these four ambitions right that you want to achieve so in any business you want growth um of course the solution that you want to create or your startup whatever wants to make some kind of impact potentially and then there's this you you're striving to quality and then also building an experience those ambitions right but then what they unpack in this book is that these ambitions are also counterbalanced by certain constraints that come into play so constraints around foundation for example you know what is the context maybe uh, the second uh, constraint is resource like i might not have enough people or money to do this or method you know you have the skills and abilities and then time i mean time you know do do we have enough time to do this project and this book deep dives all this and shows you how you can use the constraints in your area or some of the constraints you run into like around foundational resource method and time and how you solve that and how you work with that to do better design yeah the book goes into a lot of case studies nice and varied and also deep dives the collection of hands-on methods that you can apply from the get-go um yeah so i mean this book really resonated with me like i mentioned earlier um it actually has one of my old bosses uh, in the book referenced there as a uh, as a case study, uh, where we built um, internet banking on feature phones, for example, in Africa. You know, so for example, in that case, you know, um, digital banking is definitely where you want to be um, back in the day when they started off doing that, but we couldn't really bring it to the mass market in South Africa because the mass market had Feature phones, no smartphones. I think it's changed now a little bit with Android becoming more uh, affordable. but still, how can we give someone with a feature phone access to digital banking? And uh, they went ahead and actually did that through a technology called USSD. I talk about this or spoke about this a lot in in previous years, but this was a, this is a great example where you have this um you know maybe a limitation of resource and method. and they built a beautiful awarded solution by following some of these these principles as it unpacked in this book so a beautiful book called a beautiful constraint by adam morgan and mark braden the power of moments by chip and dan heath is book number nine and uh, the reason i brought this book in is also i talk a lot about the experience economy i reference this a lot And some of my previous guests, actually, they are on this journey with me, like Marina, Andrew, and Paul Valencia that I spoke to. We explored the whole idea of the experience economy. Um, I also had the opportunity to uh, interview Joe Pine, who wrote the book, The Experience Economy. And this is really an interesting field for me personally. But sometimes it can get really tough because... There's a lot of questions that are we're really exploring this. And for someone who is doing some UX work, maybe some service design work, you know, what is it that they can do today to, to, to tap into the experience economy? And I think the power of moments is a great primer to get you into the thinking, into the practicalities of the experience economy. So let me explain the concept. So a simple analogy or a simple story. So, for example, um, I mean, Disney World, Disneyland is is kind of a benchmark for experience design. If you go there, um, I mean, these guys, their engineers are extraordinary when it comes to designing experiences. But they also, you know, they have these key critical moments. So, for example, in the book down Unpack, where they they strategically place uh, opportunities to take a photo with your family closer to the end. Of your visit at Disneyland and the the reason they do this is that they realize that going through this experience there's inevitably gonna be problems I mean there might be some rubbish somewhere or you might trip over a step or what's definitely gonna happen is that you might be there with your kids if you have kids and the little tyke is gonna lose these marbles and just irritate you and it's gonna get hot and you can get bothered and your wife's going to irritate you or your wife's going to get irritated by you and there's going to be ups and downs and then you're going to have fun again and you're going to have a brilliant lunch. But then right at the end, they give you this opportunity to take this brilliant family photo, which you then take away as a memento. And, you know, humans, we are weird kind of creatures because even if you had the worst day, at some stage, you're going to look back at that photo and really look at that moment in time and cherish your experience that you had at Disney World and this whole idea of thinking in moments is really unpacked in this book you know it's a moment Thus, also for us service designers and user experience designers it really builds around the premise that i mean we like to use user journey maps right where we map the experience of a customer from point a to point b and you have all these touch points and usually where we start is you look at where the bad touch points are you know the really bad ones and this is still still valid you you fix those bad points but it's not necessary to fill in all the potholes in quotes you need to strategically put in some spikes some 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 positive moments along the way so don't try and fill out all the potholes create a few or add a few peak moments to balance your experience and it's 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 becomes a very effective tool and actually very handy to think in this way. The book is also also unpacks these moments in in, in into a bunch of categories uh I'll quickly rattle them off so the one is um the mo- moments are of elevation so where you 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 have as maybe a script and you break the script so for example if you're doing banking. You know, there's kind of a script uh, when people open the bank account or whatever. Now, think about how you can break that script slightly to to make it more interesting. Then um, moments of insight where you give the participant an opportunity to make a new discovery, um, aha moment, for example. Uh, moments of pride where someone earns recognition for what they what they're doing, and heaven forbid, guys, this is not about. Putting a little badge on something, or this, this pseudo gamification stuff, is really acknowledging someone's um, uh, achievements and, and, and tapping into this whole moment of pride. And then the final one is moments of connection. As how do we we interact and create social moments for people? in the experiences that we design, so moment of elevation moment of insight moment of pride moment of connection and they unpack all these in the book in a really really nice way with a lot of examples something else to keep in mind is that they also have a mailing list that you can tap into and then from time to time not too often um, the authors actually send out an updated list of of examples around the power of moments so yeah the power of moments by chip and dan heath then finally book number 10 A more beautiful question. I grabbed this book because I wanted to find something that will help me become a better interviewer. And to interview people, you need to ask questions. But then I realized that this is actually more relevant to my design practice than anything else. And to such an extent that if I had to have a New Year's resolution, my New Year's resolution for 2019 is to use my ears more, listen to people, listen more carefully. And that's the most powerful thing I believe a designer has, is the ability to really observe, listen, um, and understand. And that means that your mouth is not flapping all the time. To explain to you why I think this aligns beautifully with, with design practice, specifically design thinking, is that the author unpacks three critical questions and it goes into much more depth than i'm explaining now but there's three questions so if you think about design thinking the first phase of design thinking is around understanding and in the book they talk about asking the question why when you're observing people, when you maybe doing a service safari, where you look at things critically by asking why, then the second question they unpacked is unpack is what if, and this plays nicely into the ideation space. So now that you've asked why, you ask what if, you know, explore the solution space and ideate. The final question, super important question, is how, and you know, you might have an idea, but how I do how am I going to execute it? How am I going to find the resources? Honestly, I'm really using these three questions these days as the basis of my design approach and I think it's much more powerful and it's definitely a book on my list that I want to listen to again. In fact, I had the audiobook recommended um, A More Beautiful Question by Michael A. Singer. Good stuff, so that is 10 books for 2018 that I read that I would love for you to read too and I would love to hear your comments on that or maybe some of your books. In fact, um, you can track me down on Goodreads. Um, Would love to hear from you. And yeah, that brings me to the end of this episode of Block Thinking. We'll be back in the next episode with one of the interviews that I'm working on at this stage. And then also I'm working with Jonathan for hopefully a special block thinking episode coming later in February. We wanted to do it as a special bonus Christmas episode. But the person we're lining up, and this is someone we're really excited to talk about in the design community, is super busy and we can only get into their calendar later on. So we're still hard at work on that hope to have more information about that later so guys thank you for listening to the episode please stay in touch let me know what you thought give me some of your book recommendations my wife would love to see my my shelves grow even more to her chagrin. so thank you very much for listening and catch you later on Thanks for listening to Block Thinking. You can find more information and the show notes for this episode at www.blockthinking.com. That is blockthinkingwithoutthek.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We thrive on critique, so feel free to leave comments on iTunes or get hold of us directly. Thanks for listening. Just before I go, I actually have a few extra ones that I just wanted to mention with you, a few extra books that you can check out if you're interested. These are Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived and Joyful Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. This is a great book that focuses on how you apply design thinking to your own personal life. How can I design my life using design thinking as a as a as a base and bill burnett i think specifically works at the d school and he realized that they were teaching all these students how to do design thinking for business but you know these students go out in the world wide world and have no um, skills and they use this platform and design thinking to actually help these students and now it's become quite a a nice book so go check that out designing your life how to build a well-lived joyful life the other book I could recommend you as well as this is marketing by Seth Godin now once again if you're in ad agency world or social media or actually if you're running a business or you're selling or you have a product out in the market I really recommend checking this book out it's not a heavy marketing book don't worry it's really about how to understand and find your niche market and really talking to people, connecting with them and getting them to engage with you and you engaging with them. Then this one, thanks for the feedback by Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone. Now I have mentioned you you my, my top 10, or not top 10, but uh, The Coaching Habit as a great book, but this one, thanks for the feedback, dives even deeper in the whole idea of giving people feedback and in receiving feedback. The reason I didn't unpack it earlier is that I'm actually reading it for the second time. I found it quite heavy. Um, they really, I mean, it's a super valuable book because you get, like, awesome value out of this. They really go, these guys are researchers, they, they've, they've really unpacked this uh, with a lot of practical examples, and a lot of theory, and a, lot of, a lot of case studies. And, yeah, I mean, I'll probably have it on my list end of next year again because I want to really study this more. So thanks for the feedback by Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone. And then I've got three more. Uh, This one uh, is Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Um, Really, um, Annie Duke is a world champion poker player and she explains how if you think like a poker player, um, it's much more effective than some of the things that we do in business these days where we think there's elements of certainty everywhere. So, you know, how certain are you something's going to happen? And it also rather aligning yourself to what is the probability that something can happen? Because this mm-hmm. is how life works. There's no certainties. I mean, I'm sitting in San Diego now. Um, I mean, one of the things I saw last night for the first time was I I saw a broadcast live of Mr. Donald Trump, uh, the president um, and I remember when he was running his campaign, a lot of people and bookies and said there's no way that he's going to become president of the United States and look what happened and Annie actually touches on this in her book too where she, sees, she says no one was really wrong, they just said there was like a 45 or 40% chance that Trump would win the, the only thing is, is that in this case, the 40% held out the whole the decision fell into the 40 percent so thinking in bets really helps you shape the way you think about making decisions and making plans then uh, another book that i can recommend is wait what there's also about questions it's written by james e ryan very light reading uh, helps you think about how to pra- approach life by asking the right questions and then finally the last book i wanted to share with you is difference by Bernard bernardet jiva um yeah she taps into storytelling but different specifically is about how to rethink the way you do campaigns and set up a value for your customers so really thinking about rather rather than talking to your customers about how great your service your product or your solution is is really thinking about what is it that your solution is empowering your customers to do what difference are you making? And she's got a canvas there. There's a lot of practical examples. Um, she's got some case studies in the book. Easy reading. Really like recommend that as a doorway into some of the other work that she's doing. Um, great author. Thank you very much for listening and catch you later on.